Welcome to the Faster Podcast by Flow Cycling, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that makes you faster on your bike. This is Season 1, Episode 10, and today we have Dr. Jessica Nurek from Toolbox Genomics joining us on the show. Dr. Nurek is the Clinical Product and Education Director at Toolbox Genomics, a company that uses your genetics to make personalized training, diet, and lifestyle recommendations. Listen to this episode to learn how understanding your genetics can help you become a faster cyclist. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. All right, Dr. Jessica Nurek, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you've been traveling a little bit. You are now back in Arizona. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Just got back today. Perfect. Uh, you got you were located in the Bay Area, but you've just recently moved to Arizona. I was actually in the Bay Area for the first time um, for an, a recent Ironman, and I was really impressed with the area. It's beautiful, and it might be the only place with higher real estate than San Diego. It is. It <laughs> is beautiful, and it is very expensive. Yes. Um, yes. I, I my job is still in San Diego, so or San Francisco, so uh, I get to enjoy the benefits of the city without paying the cost of living. Awesome. So it's a perfect <laughs> nice. situation. Nice. Um, now you, uh, we had to reschedule last week. You had a bit of a cough. You're feeling better this week. Yeah, I am. I'm sorry about that. I, no. uh, it was just this cough that lasted for like two weeks. And I was like, we're going to be talking about health and wellness. I can't just be packing up your show. And our, uh, our listeners are probably happy. They don't have to hear coughing the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was a good, good choice to, uh, to postpone. Um, all right. So Jessica, you, I think the easiest way to describe you is to talk about the, the, uh, qualifications and the degrees that you don't have instead of trying to explain <laughs> what you do have. Um, you have a crazy background. You're very well researched. Uh, you are now working for the company called Toolbox Genomics, which we'll get into in great detail. You are in charge of the clinical product and education. You are a registered dietitian. You have a business degree in finance. You have a PhD in physical activity, nutrition, and wellness. And you played basketball in college. And now you run and do triathlons. So do you have any triathlons or runs coming up? I don't have any scheduled right now because I'm kind of battling an injury and trying okay. to kind of prioritize that. But I'm okay. sure I'll have a couple in the next couple of months. Okay, perfect. We always yeah. have something on the schedule for, yeah. for an athlete. So cool. All right. So a lot of your, I'm going to have you explain a little bit about your background in a bit, but really you're passionate about achieving health and happiness through diet and exercise. And you've studied anti-inflammatory diets. You've used those tools to help people fight chronic disease. And now with Toolbox Genomics, um, because you have such a diverse background, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your position at Toolbox Genomics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you kind of just mentioned a couple of the things, but so I I kind of got my start in um, the finance world. So I was going to college on a full ride for basketball. Um, I had been an athlete my whole life, loved playing basketball. It was one of the greatest times of my life. But 
Um, I really like a lot of college students didn't know kind of exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Um, which it's, I guess it's hard to do at 17, 18 years old. (laughs) And I kind of thought about it and figuring out what I, you know, I had had an, uh, ACL reconstruction at that point. And so, um, had had experience with physical therapists and, um, orthopedics. And so I kind of thought maybe I'll become an orthopedic surgeon because that's kind of what I knew. And I I would get to work with athletes. Um, but then kind of realizing I might not want to go to med school, So I decided to get a business degree because I figured I could do um, a lot of different things with that. And so went on, got got my degree, finished playing basketball. I got an opportunity to go coach Division II basketball, um, and they offered to pay for my master's degree. And so um, I ended up going up to Pennsylvania, getting a master's in exercise physiology. And then from there, um, I fell in love with exercise physiology and, and decided to pursue my uh, PhD in that field, um, but kind of bringing nutrition, more sport nutrition into it. So I really got my start in the health world because I was an athlete and from an athletic perspective, trying to help improve athletic performance. Um, and then once I was, while I was getting my PhD, um, I kind of shifted my research focus more to prevention, um, of medicine, uh, in order to get research funding. Okay. And also just kind of my passion went that way. And so my PhD is really in nutrition and exercise physiology. And then at the same time doing that, I got my, um, I became a registered dietitian. And then, um, from there I went, I was a college professor for two years at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So I was teaching in the nutrition yeah, program. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of how I met, how I think we got all hooked up because I was living there. I know Ted. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We've had him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so we worked together, um, and I was running a research lab, uh, kind of looking at preventive strategies for um, preventing metabolic disease, so type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, using nutrition and exercise. Um, and then I realized, I started realizing and getting into the field of nutrigenomics and epigenetics, and had just started really getting into it and um, kind of taking my research that direction when I kind of serendipitously met the CEO of this company and just loved their mission and loved their what they were doing and decided to join the research team. And so I joined about a year ago and moved up to the Bay Area. That's awesome. That's super yeah. cool. Okay. So your company, like we said, is Toolbox Genomics. And we're going to, you guys have a, a lot of products. We're going to get into one in high detail today. Um, but because genetics are such an easy topic, um, <laughs> can you try and explain to us what toolbox genomic is? And remember, we may explain it to us like we're two-year-olds because this is going to be a bit of a tough topic. But in general, what is toolbox genomics? Yeah, absolutely. So Toolbox Genomics is essentially a um, DNA-based company. So we do DNA testing, um, but it's all about empowering an individual to kind of take control of their genetics. So Basically, um, you can get your DNA tested, and then what we do from there is we'll provide you with your results, and we're able to look at particular variations in your genes, so changes in your genes that might predispose you to certain things. Like if we look at nutrients, it might predispose you to vitamin D deficiency, for example. Um, And so we can look at a lot of different factors, and I know we're going to talk about some of those today, um, and then look at your predisposition to those. And then what's really unique about toolboxes, they take it one step further because we know, you know, the expression of your genes. So kind of what, 
um, the outward expression of your genes is an interaction between your genes and your environment. And so we look at what environmental things can you do to overcome some of those predispositions that you might have genetically. Because okay. your, your genes don't change um, throughout your life, but obviously what you can do to impact the expression of those can change. So that's kind of what we do at Toolbox. Super cool. cool. Awesome. Yeah. So you guys have a brand new product out called Run DNA, and fortunately for Chris and I, we were able to be uh, beta testers for that, which is kind of cool because we're identical twins. So it's kind of a cool compare and contrast because you know our genetics are supposed to be identical. Um, before we get into the specifics of what that you know our results, can you talk us through what Run DNA is and and what it what it, what it looks at specifically when you do a test? Yeah, so Run DNA is the product that we came out with for endurance athletes. Um, and so basically what we're looking at is three different areas of interest that would be of interest for an endurance athlete. So we look at performance variables, um, nutrition variables, and then psychological factors. So performance variables are things like VO2 max, lactate, muscle fiber type. Um, we look at injury susceptibility. And then nutrition, things things like caffeine metabolism or different nutrient deficiencies, how you metabolize different, um, different food types, and then yeah. psychological factors or mindset. Um, so personality type, motivation, in, in, intrinsic motivation, so things like that. And wow. all of these things have genes related to them. Okay, very Really? Cool. So even, even types of personality traits like intrinsic or, or extrinsic can be detected by genes? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's really I didn't cool know that stuff. That was possible. That's really cool. Um, what is the accuracy of Run DNA? Have you guys do you have stats on that? Yeah, we do. So we work with um, we work with an external lab, and it's a CLIA and CAPS uh, certified lab. Yeah. So what that means is it's been validated clinically, and basically the average accuracy of our tests is higher in a CLIA CAPS certified lab. So our tests, we use a call rate. Um, a call rate is what you use to basically filter out low quality markers. So the higher yeah. your call rate, the better your results. So um, we use a call rate of 97% or better, but our Wellness Pro products and Run DNA is one of those products. Is it 99% or higher? So um, when you say like a, a, a call rate, are you talking like a confidence interval? Like you have a 99% confidence interval? It, yeah, it's it's similar to that. So it's basically, yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Cool. Um, so and, uh, common genetic companies that people are familiar with would be Ancestry.com or those types of things. And they use basically the more testers that they get, the more diverse their database of information becomes. With Run DNA, it's not exactly the same thing. So your sample population size doesn't really affect the results users get. And that's because you get your data from somewhere else. Where do you guys get the information that you use to send the users once they give you a DNA sample? Sure. So we, um, so the way that we create our products is, is not by our own in-house studies. Um, we have a team of research, PhD research scientists that help us go through all of the published genetic data. And that kind of helps us formulate our products. 
So um, basically to date, I think our research team, I would estimate, have gone through about 20,000 different articles. And so we pull all of those genetic-based articles in order to get all of that SNP-based research. And SNP-based is a single nucleotide polymorphism. So those genetic research studies um, and looking at different um, associations and interventions. And then we use that information. So kind of the more research that's out there, the better our product becomes versus doing all of our own in-house studies. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So basically, if one person buys the run DNA product or a hundred people buy the product, you are you've already done the research. So if my genes are, I don't know what you call genes, but call them, you know, A, B, and C, your research already shows what happens if you have gene types A, B, and C, and that's the results that you send me. So it really has no, it doesn't matter how many people do the test. You've already done the research to provide the information. Exactly. That's pretty cool. So yeah. where at Ancestry.com, it's really dependent upon how many customers they have. So Well, with Ancestry, it's a little different because they use AI to create algorithms, um, basically to determine what region of the world you're from. Oh. And so so they need, the more samples that they get, the more validated their product will be because it's an Ancestry-based product. Um, versus uh, ours, we're using genetic um, variation data. So for us, it's more the more research that comes out there, the the better, the more valid our pro- like any genetic based products are going to be. Um, because even right now we have some traits and we'll kind of go over this that have a lot of research behind them. And so we're very, very confident in making these recommendations. And then there's others. And that's why we grade our research or we're in the process of grading our research because there's others that don't have as much research behind them. So the more research to validate the studies that already exist is just going to make our, all results more valid. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So this show is called faster. And the reason we call it faster is because it's all about making an athlete faster on their bike or endurance sports. And run DNA is really cool because you guys basically look through all of the data that you've researched and you look at specific sections or categories of genetics that athletes can use to look at how their performance can be helped or what you should be cautious of because of your genetics for endurance sports. So the run DNA product that we did has 10 sections and it's very interesting because John mentioned we're identical twins and I went through both of our results. It's, I think it was 60 some pages of results and they're identical down to the wire. So I'm so a little, happy to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a little uh, tote or tout for your, your accuracy because well, we should have the same information, but it was identical down to the word. And um, anyway, what I want to do is I want to go through each 10 sections of the report that we have, because most of our listeners would likely be interested in this product. And I know you have other products, which we'll talk about near the end of the show, but let's start with the run DNA. So let's go through each category. I will tell you, John or I will say which results we got. And then what I'd like for you to do, Jessica, is just talk briefly, because we don't have time to go over everything in great detail, but let's just talk briefly about what are some markers that would help endurance athletes under the category that we're talking about? And then what are some markers that if you get them under that category that an athlete should be cautious of or maybe take some special care with? Okay. So we'll start with the, te- the category metabolic factors. And John and I both under there received uh, under resting metabolic rate, we were shown to have a higher resting metabolic rate. 
And we were also shown to have a predisposition to obesity. Um, so what, what are some things under metabolic factors that endurance athletes should watch for? Sure. So when you're looking at metabolic factors, resting metabolic rate, if you guys received higher, that means essentially we're looking at the UCP1 gene. It's an uncoupling protein, and it means that you have more brown fat. So there's brown fat and white fat. Brown fat is actually more metabolic fat. And so your resting metabolic rate tends to be higher the more brown fat you have. Exercise actually increases brown fat. It's one of the best adaptations of exercises that increase in brown fat. And so if you have a higher resting metabolic rate, it likely means that you're going to have to increase your caloric consumption, right? To meet the demands, especially if you're exercising. And so you're even more compensating with that resting metabolic rate, you'll likely want to increase calorie consumption. So for that, um, there wouldn't be a lot of recommendations we would say, except for on the nutrition side, probably to, um, make sure that you're adequately getting your calories. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, for, for obesity predisposition, it's funny because this is the perfect one to kind of show that you can overcome your predispositions. I also have this predisposition. Yeah. And, and I met you and you're nowhere near obese. <laughs> right. So we can, we can overcome our predispositions, right? We're, we're not defined by them. Yeah. Um, and so obviously you guys know as endurance athletes, the, the lower your body well, your BMI likely is a better thing for you as an endurance athlete. Exactly. Absolutely. And are there any markers in this category that, you know, if, if an athlete gets it, that they'll definitely want to take special care of or note of? Um, I would say that FTO and, and it's just because FTO is the obesity predisposition. Um, and just because you might, an individual who has that predisposition might need to make sure that they're taking control of more factors than another person. I mean, we've all, we all met the person who can eat whatever they want. Um, and you know, never gain a pound. And then the other person who looks at a donut and gains five pounds. Yeah. I know that's not scientifically valid, but <laughs> well, Are it there... doesn't always have to be scientifically valid for it to be true. So yeah, right. for sure. And so some of these like metabolic factors that you're looking at, like, are like you can, you can get a number of different ones. Like, so does everybody have a specific resting metabolic rate, right? So there's a range for that. Like it would go from like low to high or so, how does that work? Yeah. So let me explain for one second that the, when we're looking at these factors, so we're looking at the gene and what the gene does is it codes for the protein that impacts whatever it is. So, okay. and so basically the protein we're looking at here is the protein that helps to create or the enzymes that help create this brown fat on resting metabolic rate, which has that impact on resting metabolic rate. Okay. So if you have impairments in a particular gene, and I shouldn't say impairments, I should say a variation in a gene, it's going to lower that enzyme activity. And so what we're doing is we're making recommendations so that we can bring that enzyme activity like back to baseline so that you are performing adequately in that particular area. Oh, cool. and so that's why you've got, when you're looking at metabolic factors, you're looking at the resting metabolic rate, which is you're saying connected to brown fat and white fat. Mm -hmm. And then that also is related to the obesity predisposition because, well, if you have a predisposition to have, I guess, a lot of white fat, which you're saying is the bad option. And that would mean that we would be, you could have a higher body fat percentage. Is that what you're saying? That's related to metabolic factors. You sorry. broke up for yeah, a second, John. Sorry, yeah. Try one oh, more time. Sorry, um, you're saying that the the resting metabolic rate. We we look at that, right? And so that's that's obviously related to um, obesity. And so since that's related to obesity, because we because you're saying it's connected to the the metabolic resting metabolic rate is related to the brown fat and the white fats. 
So let's say we have a, a lower metabolic rate and we have a higher percentage of white fat that could get lead us to much be much more uh, prone to obesity uh, than somebody who has a higher resting meta metabolic rate and somebody with a larger percentage of brown fat. And that's yeah. Why yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And that's why they're all clustered under metabolic factors. Um, right. because, because, you know, these things are multifactorial. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at the genes though, that there there's published research behind that it's really, really highly associated, but also there's something you can do about each one of these things to lower your risk. Cool. Perfect. Makes total yeah. sense. Um, the next bucket that we, you have there in one of the, the, the 10 items is called endurance potential. Um, Chris and I both pulled better endurance performance. Uh, and one of the markers that we had was called lactate. So it said people with similar genetic markers may experience impairments in lactate transport and clearance leading to early onset of fatigue. Can you talk about that? Sure. So for lactate, lactate's actually a pretty cool one. So um, we're looking at a transport protein. So it's basically a gene that makes a transport protein that's responsible for transporting that lactate um, mm -hmm. throughout, throughout the body. And so basically clearing the lactate, right? And so if you have an impairment in this gene, um, it can impair your transport and clearance ability, which can lead to earlier onset of fatigue, which obviously okay. is not a good thing for us as endurance athletes. <laughs> okay. So basically, um, then we take that. So we'll show you your predisposition to that. And then, um, we'll give you recommendations if, if that is the case of what you can do to kind of overcome that. Perfect. And so in the metabolic factors, we look specifically, you're saying you were looking at the protein that determined the amount of brown fat in the mm -hmm. endurance potential. Is there a protein that you look at again to determine your endurance performance potential? Yeah. So all of the genes we look at for endurance potential. So endurance potential is an interesting one because it's a cluster of genes. So there's quite a few um, okay. that we look at and each one of those genes encodes for a different protein. So it, th all of those proteins are going to be involved in your endurance potential. And most of them have to do with mitochondrial proteins or um, enzymes for energy, getting energy to the muscle. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, next bucket is muscle fiber type, which is a big discussion in the endurance sports uh, arena. So you've got fast twitch and slow twitch. Um, Chris and I both had fast twitch muscles, strength and power, which actually Interesting. sort of surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, 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 if anybody knows me, <laughs> you will know that I have probably the worst vertical jump of any human <laughs> in existence. So I don't really, I, I feel like I'm a pretty strong guy. From a you know jumping perspective, I'm I'm quite uh, quite yeah. terrible. And I, I I found that one interesting too because I I lifted weights before triathlon for probably close to ten years and I could never break 155 60 pounds. And the minute I did triathlon, it was easy. You know, so I was really surprised with that one. Yeah, and you both. So you you got fast twitch muscles, not even mixed. Yeah, mixed no. not muscles. even mixed. Mixed. No, because I know that there's two types of muscle fibers. There's your slow twitch and then fast twitch A and B, right? right. And one can convert to slow twitch, but the other can't. Well, you can make your you can make your fast twitch and your fast twitch are going to be those less oxidative fibers, so more explosive, more speed based. You can make them more oxidative. Um, so basically, you can go from type two B to type two A, um, okay. which would be a more oxidative fiber. Well, I must have a great uh, potential for converting because I <laughs> I can't sprint for the life of me, but I can go long pretty well. And for anybody, yeah, that's. that's 
anybody that's oh, listening that doesn't know what fast twitch and slow twitch are, fast twitch muscle fibers are basically used for quick strength and and, and pa- strength and power movements. So it, it's it's very beneficial for that. Slow twitch muscle fibers are used for like long distance endurance events. So typically you see like top level, you know, Olympic marathoners and those people, they have a lot of slow twitch or they may have some mixed fibers, but you know, if you have like a very strong weightlifter, you're seeing a lot more fast twitch based stuff. So anybody that doesn't know what that is, I just thought I'd, I'd clear that up. Yep. Yeah, thank you. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's very, very rare to find somebody who um, has the variant that is strictly for slow twitch muscles. That's the endurance-based really? fiber type. Yeah. Really? You see a lot of mixed. You see a lot of mixed. Mixed is the majority, I would say. Um, huh. But yeah, you guys getting fast twitch is interesting. I mean, that it's a good example of how um, you might have these predispositions, but they may not be expressing themselves. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Injury susceptibility. What proteins are you measuring for that one? Is that a simple single protein or is that a multiple level, multiple combination uh, element when you look at injury susceptibility? There's a couple there. I think we're, we measure two different genes here, but they both yeah. are related to collagen, okay. um, which is what is the protein that strengthens and supports a lot of tissues in the body, including ligaments and tendons. Um, This is my favorite one because I personally have had a lot of injury um, throughout my career. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, it was interesting for me because I have a strong susceptibility um, to to ligament and tendon injury and I've had four knee surgeries. So, yeah, so, I, so, I second that because yeah. I, I'm injured. I turn around, I get injured. I mean, I can run a mile and be injured and, and uh, I have, well, I had it too. So we had ligament and tendon injury, tendon injury, disc degeneration and muscle damage, all as risks. Oh no, you had like the triple whammy. I have the triple whammy. So I <laughs> actually that, have- Is a, there only a, three? Yeah, there's only three. <laughs> oh, great. So I actually have a bottle of collagen in my cupboard that I'm going to experiment with because it was one of your recommendations. Yes, so I'm going to try it out. I take it every day. Okay. And does it help you? I, I mean, I think it does. Okay. Well, maybe yeah. there's some placebo for me because be. I'll take anything at this point. <laughs> but so yeah. what, are the, what are the different options for uh, under injury susceptibility? Obviously, increased risk. I'm feeling like Chris and I are in like the worst case category. Can you have somebody that just pulls absolutely no marker so that they're not really inju- injury susceptible at all? Or does somebody, so, um, does somebody always so the have way some that level it works, of injury susceptibility? Oh, I'm sorry. I think, yeah. you, I think you cut out. You, you cut out, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. I was just wondering if um, if everybody, at least somebody always has at least some level of injury susceptibility. Yeah. So, um, the, I, and I should have explained this. So the way that these work is we're looking at these variations in your gene. And so basically, usually you have either the non-variant um, or you'll have what we call heterozygous, which is you, so you get one, you get one set of genes from your mom, one set of genes from your dad, right? Yep, so you right. can inherit the risk variant from your mom and not your dad. And so that means you'll have one of those variants. You can also inherit the risk variant from your mom and the risk variant from your dad, which means you have two of those variants. So those are really your options. You can have no variants, one variant, or two. So we call, if you have one variant, say you just got it from your mom, that's called heterozygous. If you get both of them, so you get one from your mom, one from your dad, that's homozygous. Now, if you're homozygous, so you have both of the variants, you are at an even stronger increased susceptibility. Right. So when we're looking at this, if you have both of those variants, um, it's it's the strongest 
risk for injury. And then if you have one, it's a little bit less risk, but you're still at risk because you still have a variance. And then if you don't have a variant, you you would pull no increased risk when exercising. Interesting. That's, genetics to me is such an interesting topic. I My uh, lovely girlfriend was trying to explain to me how the fact that I have blue eyes and she has blue eyes means that our children have light eyes. And I was like, I, what? And so she was like talking about like recessive and non-recessive and like how the, <laughs> the like the there's like a, a grid, which it's the Punnett square, right? Thank you. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah. it's, I was it's asleep in that class. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we went to school in Canada. We never had that class. They don't teach that in Canada. Not, not, not. No, we did not. Uh, we did not learn that. Um, the next one of the 10 buckets is recovery. Um, Chris and I pulled sleep, which means in parent, impairments including less deep sleep and shorter sleep duration and then oxidative stress higher oxidative stress due to part in uh to any oxidant depletion depletion so can you talk about i guess a what you can pull in recovery and then talk specifically about the ones that we did pull yeah, so recovery is a big one. And I think um, one of the things that we do when we are looking at this and making these recommendations, we always make them from a functional medicine perspective. Okay. Um, so sleep, stress, um, particularly oxidative stress, but all of those things are important in recovery for an athlete. Um, and so that's kind of why we included them here. And so if you pulled impairments, including less deep sleep and shorter sleep duration, there's particular genes that we look at. One is DRD2 and one is the clock gene. And both of them are involved in circadian rhythm um, and disruptions in circadian rhythm. So if you pull um, a variant in any of these genes, um, these genes are coding for proteins that are involved in the circadian rhythm. So that's going to be disrupted. So okay. for example, deep sleep is one of them. And then your sleep duration is another one. So sleep duration might be something like you wake up m multiple times throughout the night. Um, less deep <laughs> sleep might be that you, I, I don't know if you've ever worn like a sleep monitor or something, but if you see that you don't have any deep sleep and it's kind of, you have a lot of um, kind of ups and downs in your sleep patterns. Yep. Um, that, that's kind of what that looks at. And there's a lot of research behind um, impairments in sleep and impairments in recovery in athletes. That's wild. Can you wild. talk about circadian rhythm for a second? What did you mean by that? Sure. So circadian rhythm is really just kind of what, like the basis of how you're supposed to sleep. Is that like in, the in a one, two, three, world. four REM? Like REM, REM sleep? Yeah, exactly. One, yeah. two, three, four REM. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I just, yeah, I've never heard it referred to as circadian rhythm, but that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. That's an interesting one. We, we actually have a, to, we've already had a sleep expert on the show. We talked a lot about sleep. Um, oh, awesome. But we, we never really got into genetics on that. So it's very interesting because I have sleep impairments. John and I both do. And I, I don't sleep well. I wake up a ton and I, I don't think I sleep very deeply. So the exact things that you said would mimic how I sleep. And my mother sleeps very, in a very similar way. So I guess for all of this stuff, we get to thank our parents, right? Because they hand the genes down to us. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> However, you can take advantage, you know, there, all those, all those recommendations we give you in the report, take yes. advantage of those because they're shown to help recovery Perfect. And, okay. and sleep. All right. <laughs> the next one that I thought was actually really interesting was a, was a category that says the best time to train, which I mean, the one that I pull, I remember I used to work out, lift weights a lot in the gym, which I really don't go to a gym anymore because I, I work out mostly at home or, you know, in another way. But every time I would go to the gym in the morning, I would 
get on like if I was going to do bench press, I'd lay on the bench and I'd be like, I just want to go back to sleep. Like I, I always worked out at night, but for me, they said the best time for me to train was in the morning. Um, so it said when we pulled that, so what are the other options and why do some people perform better at night? That's kind of the question we had. So can you talk about a, how you determine that? And then B, why, why does it matter when somebody trains and how does that relate to your genetics? Yeah, absolutely. So I will start by saying that we have in the report when you pull this, that no matter what this says, the best time for you to train is when you feel the best training, right? Yes. So okay. I, 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 my fiance and I, it's so funny because I'm such a morning person. Like I'll be up at 430 in the morning to go for a run, you know, because it's 120 degrees here yeah. um, in the afternoon. So you got to get in and um, and I'm fine with it. I love it. But he, for the life of him, cannot get out of bed. And so he goes to the gym every night at 530 which if it's 5:30 I can't go to the gym. So nice. it's oh. it's just totally different. Are you a, are you a late person? Oh, I work out. Typically I start a workout around 9 o'clock at night. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I get no. everything done in the day and then if I I, mean, I might start at 8:30 but I'm normally finishing my workout by about 10:30, 10 10:30. Wow. Yeah. So, so essentially where this one comes from, this is more of, I kind of said that there's strength in research. This is one that doesn't have a huge strength behind it in terms of the research. So it comes from a couple of studies, particularly one that is, that looked at a lot of different, um, individuals and, uh, it was basically an association study. And so they looked at this cluster of genes and there was strong correlations between, um, the gene cluster and individuals who preferred by self-reported data to work out in the morning. Um, so that's why it says in the report, you know, no, no matter what this says, do what's best for you and your body. Interesting. Um, just one quick question on that category. Yeah. For the people say, for example, we got morning. Mm-hmm. Do you have better adaptations to exercise if you follow the advice? So if I work out in the morning, will I get a better physiological adaptation than I would at night? Oh, that's such a good question. So one of the things in the in the research um, right now is that we've gotten all of this data. There's a lot of studies behind each one of these traits, but we need to look at translational research now. So putting this into practice. So I'm only aware of one study that has actually done genetic-based training and done an, an actual st- published study based upon it. Okay. Um, and that was done in 2016. And it wasn't it wasn't just specifically looking at best time to train because that study hasn't been done, but it was looking at basically a genetic training program based upon a DNA results. And they looked at two different cohorts, one in a cluster of athletes and one in soccer players, and then put them in, through an eight-week program. And one of the groups was matched for their ge- uh, genetic potential and one was a mixed group. And um, the one that was matched for genetic potential actually was uh, performed significantly better at the end of the wow. eight weeks. So that was pretty, that was pretty cool to see. And what did they do to adjust the, the program based on the genetics? Do you know? Yeah, it was all um, that particular study. It was all uh, looking at explosive power and aerobic fitness. And so they, um, they basically looked at muscle fiber type and VO2 max data I think VO2 max, but definitely muscle fiber type, um, and then put individuals into either endurance or strength-based training. That's impressive. That's cool. So, so the next one that was on the test was one that I was kind of interested in, and I, I'll ask the question, but I wasn't quite sure how it really related to performance. And so it's called caffeine metabolism. Uh, all the other ones we've discussed and even the other ones coming up make a ton of sense, but 
personally, I don't consume caffeine. It's not by choice. I just, I don't, I don't, I, I've always, ever since the beginning, I, I, I really dislike coffee. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the taste of it. I don't drink, drink tea. I guess I do eat dark chocolate from time to time. So I guess that's some caffeine consumption. Um, but can you talk before we really get into the, the different markers, why is caffeine metabolism cons- included in the, in the testing? Yeah. So caffeine, well, so like I said, I got my start in sport nutrition. Caffeine is a huge stimulant that's used in athletic performance. And it has, it's actually the strongest supplement in sport nutrition, uh, or it's the supplement in sport nutrition with the strongest scientific basis behind it, um, in terms of improvements in performance based upon caffeine. Wow. So that would be why, I mean, that, that was actually the first thing that I put in the sport nutrition category, um, just because of that research. Um, so looking at, you know, taking, um, taking caffeine right before, uh, you work out and the improvements in performance that that can have. Oh, so you're looking at the caffeine metabolism, considering somebody is actually using it as a performance enhancing, uh, supplement while they're training. And so the, the rate at which you metabolize caffeine matters. Oh yeah, it definitely, it definitely matters. And, um, it matters not just for performance benefits, but it matters for, like we said in recovery, I mean, everything is so connected, but it matters for sleep as well, right? Right. So if you're a fast caffeine metabolizer, and you probably know these people, they'll drink caffeine or they'll drink coffee right before bed, and it doesn't necessarily affect their sleep. And then there's other people who can't drink coffee after noon, or it's going to impact their sleep, and they know that. (laughs) And so some people just, they, they metabolize it very quickly, and those people actually ironically are usually the ones who like caffeine quite a bit. Um, and then yeah. there's some people who are more sensitive to it. And so they don't metabolize it quickly, um, which actually could be a good thing for performance. Um, if you take it right before an endurance or an yeah. active endeavor. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, we got fast and I, I, I don't drink caffeine either, except for when I drive, if I'm driving and I'm tired, I will get a coffee just so I stay awake. But I went into uh, Wadi Inc. and LEL Cycling is a, is a company here in, in San Diego that makes performance equipment and apparel. And I went in and the guys offered me um, an, an espresso, which I'd never had. And it was just kind <laughs> of like the culture, you know, like when you go to, we go to Asia all the time and they ask you, to, I don't drink alcohol usually either, but sometimes they offer you a beer and you have a sip. I drank an espe- espresso and within five to 10 minutes, I was literally like shaking and vibrating in the place. I was talking super fast and I couldn't, it took me hours to calm down from one espresso. That is so funny. So, I mean, but it brings up a really good point again about this gene uh, diet interaction, right? Or gene environment interaction. You don't drink caffeine. And so you don't have a tolerance to caffeine either. Right. And so that obviously is going to come into play here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quite, it's just like alcohol, right? You can build up your tolerance. Absolutely. Yeah. The next section we talked in the, in the report, it talks about nutrients. And so what we pulled was predisposition to low calcium, vitamin D, B12, and C. Uh, from my understanding, most of the human population has a low vitamin D, so that mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. Uh, and then you have mixed iron levels. So it said we may have high iron stores, but low total iron. So we may have high of one type. Can you talk about a, what, what you specifically look for when you look from a nutrient panel? So are you looking from like all the vitamins, minerals, um, and what, what do you actually pull and then talk about specifically what that means for athletes? 
Sure, sure. So, um, so for the sport or for the uh, run DNA, we actually look at nutrients that have research behind them for again, endurance or athletic performance. Um, mm-hmm. So there's only some nutrients in here versus we have a nutrition-based product that have a lot more vitamins and minerals. But um, basically, again, what we're looking at is uh, the the gene that codes for the enzyme that will impair um, absorption capacity for some of these nutrients or yep. met- metabolic capacity for some of these nutrients. And so um, you ha- you if you pulled calcium, vitamin D, I think you said B12 and C, that yep. means that you're a predisposition for um, being deficient, which means that all that means is that you have a lower enzyme activity for those particular nutrients. Okay. Um, and so because of that low enzyme activity, Essentially, if you think of it like a door opening and allowing nutrients in, your door is just slower. And so less nutrients can get into your bloodstream. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so we take that, those results and then we make recommendations. And one of my favorite parts of the report is our further testing section, because we say, okay, well, you're at a predisposition for this. You, you might not be expressing it, but you, it's something that you want to look at. So this is what you can go and get tested, like go get a blood test and see if you are expressing it, see if you are deficient. Um, yeah, the iron levels is interesting. Um, that you have high iron stores, but low total iron. And that's just because those are two different genes. Um, and what we probably did in that was we would make a recommendation that you really need to get an iron panel done before taking any iron supplements. Um, because you tend to store iron, um, even though it's not your blood. Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, under next section is called motivation. I think this is what you were talking about earlier with intrinsic versus extrinsic. Um, it said for us may have a hard time staying motivated to exercise, balance levels of dopamine. People with this variant tend to have a balanced approach to making decisions and regulating emotion during stressful times. Can you talk about the differences that you can pull and then talk about ours specifically? Sure. So we're looking, uh, there at something called brain derived neurotropic factor. Um, so that it's called BDNF is the gene. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a gene that basically plays a role in neurotransmitters in your brain, um, like serotonin and dopamine. So like it basically impacts the reward center of the brain. Okay. Um, so if you have a hard time staying motivated, um, that's going to basically impact you haven't, you have a variant that impacts, um, your ability to either utilize or make serotonin or dopamine. Okay. Um, which means that if you're not getting those dope, this is the reason Dopamine, dopamine's fascinating to me. It's the reason we're so addicted to our phones because anytime like a text yeah. message comes up or a Facebook <laughs> notification, it's just a little hit of dopamine. Yeah, right? I read a book so on that. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yep. So dopamine is what's surging with, in, if you have like a runner's high. Um, and so because you might not make as much dopamine, um, that's it's going to lead to less motivation to exercise and it has an impact on motivation. Yep. Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one that is on the chart is called habits. And it says, I may, ha- may be more inclined to drink more caffeine than others, which I thought was kind of funny based on our last conversation um, about caffeine. So can you talk about the habits one and then talk about what other habits people may pull? Yeah. So again, I, I kind of mentioned this, but since you got fast caffeine metabolism, um, yeah. it's usually associated with, it's okay. a different gene, <laughs> but it's usually sense. associated with wanting to drink more. Right. Um, and it, it's just that it usually, uh, these individuals feel like a kind of a high effect of caffeine. So it, it, it leads them to drinking it more. 
Cool. Um, okay. Yeah. And so you can either pull that you do have an, um, that you are more inclined to drink caffeine or that you're not more inclined. And those are really the only two options. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so those are the 10 categories of the test. And then what we just discussed were the markers and the things that highlight your individual genetics. Once you get that, the Mm -hmm. test results also have an area called suggestions for improvement. And I'd like to use just one as an example, just because of time on the show. But let's use our better endurance performance as an example. And from what I could understand through reading the test, and there may be more, but our test, the maximum suggestions for each section was were five suggestions. Um, so let's go through each one of those suggestions. And like I said, we'll use the better endurance performance as an example. So the first suggestion is related to diet. And you guys seem to be big on the foundation diet. Can you talk a little bit about the foundation diet, why you recommend that for your customers and compare it to maybe the Mediterranean diet, which is a diet we've talked about on the show and another popular or common diet? Yeah. Yeah. So we make our recommendations in five domains of health and performance. So it's nutrition, supplements, exercise, uh, lifestyle, which is things like sleep, stress, um, and then further testing. So those are, so every single thing that we go through every trait, you'll have, um, you'll have recommendations in those five domains. So for better endurance potential, we look at, um, like you said, nutrition and diet. So we, um, we recommend the foundations diet. Funny that you say the Mediterranean diet, cause it is essentially a Mediterranean diet. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you, if you look at the, what's included in the foundations diet, it is a Mediterranean diet. Okay. All right. So that makes sense because it's an anti-inflammatory diet. And with your research and anti-inflammatory nutrition and things like that, I thought they would probably be similar. But yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm a big proponent of the Mediterranean diet. Okay. And why yeah. do you... So from your experience, we, we've also had a nutrition expert on the show who recommended the same type of diet. From, a, you know, from your stance with the genetics background, why do you think a Mediterranean or foundation diet is optimal for endurance performance? Well, I think it's optimal for endurance performance because number one, it's optimal for health, right? And so if we're optimizing our health, we're going to be able to be at a position where we can then take that one step further and try to optimize our performance. Um, In terms of what you can do from a diet perspective to optimize performance, it's all about optimizing an individual's health. Um, And so it it optimizes your health because it's mostly a whole foods, plant-based diet, you know, limited red meat. um, You're really prioritizing uh, lean proteins. You're getting tons of vegetables, fruits, just whole, whole based products. Um, And there's just mounds and mounds of evidence, scientific research out there to show that that's really the best type of diet for um, most individuals. Perfect. Right. Okay. Uh, so the next category of suggestions for improvement would be exercise. What are some of the things that you suggest when it comes to ex- with respect to exercise for your suggestions? For endurance performance? Uh, well, there, we didn't, there wasn't a specific uh, indicator for this one on ours, but just talk about, so we'll talk about the suggestions in general, but even under endurance performance, what are some of the suggestions you may make for exercise? Yeah. So if you were, so you guys pulled better endurance performance. Some people aren't that lucky, so, yeah. <laughs> so they won't. So we make strategies um, to basically improve endurance performance for this category if, if you pull 
that you you don't have that susceptibility. Um, so some of our strategies, because it's a product called Run DNA, it's um, geared toward improving running efficiency sometimes. Um, so engaging in slower, longer training runs or ah. Um, uh. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm actually seeing that here now. Yeah, cycling. It would. It, yes, exactly. It would transfer yeah. to cycling. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm actually seeing that here. I, I missed that for one second, but yeah, it says right here, engage in slower, longer training runs, make sure you have the right running shoes, all yep. that kind of stuff. Okay. Yep. Um, so the next one is lifestyle tips and it talks a little bit about pre-cooling uh, for us. Talk a little bit about the lifestyle tips you give athletes. Yeah. So like I said, um, we, the lifestyle tips are going to be things like it's the category that didn't fit anywhere else. Right. So things like sleep <laughs> and stress, we do things like pre-cooling. So anything where there's been research. So we didn't put sleep and stress here because you, we find them in other places and there's direct research to show that pre-cooling can increase endurance performance. Um, okay. so that's kind of why we had that pre-cooling recommendation. And I actually did some really cool, I was involved in some really cool pre-cooling uh, research back in my master's. And so I'm a big fan of pre-cooling, but can, can you talk a awesome. little bit about pre-cooling yeah. for those that don't know what pre-cooling is? Cause I think I know what pre-cooling <laughs> sure. is, but I'm just talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's especially for people who, uh, are competing in the heat. Um, it's basically lowering your body temperature before okay. a workout so that, um, so that you're able to sustain a given effort at a higher intensity. Cause Maybe that's been my problem all these years. I don't do enough pre-cooling. <laughs> yeah. And and pre-cooling can be as simple as like drinking some ice water. Really? Yeah. There's so I mean you, there's other strategies, but yeah, ice water is one. You see tour cyclists wearing those ice uh vests, per, per, you know, while they're warming up or before their event. How much of an effect can it have on your performance? Um so I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that it's appreciable to the point where it's definitely a recommendation because we see wow. significant improvements in performance in, in the research from pre-cooling. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So if you see okay. people like drinking like the slushies, that's what they're doing. Even if they don't know that it's called pre-cooling. Okay. All right. yeah. that's the, you know, we can sound important now when we yeah. talk about, oh, you're pre-cooling. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, all right. You also make, uh, <laughs> you make some supplement tips and you actually recommended for us caffeine, beetroot juice, oral L-citrulline, vitamin D and K. Um, so... Before we get into supplements, you are a registered dietitian. So I've heard some things. So a lot of people say you just pee your vitamins and your supplements out. Why not just eat the right amount of foods and healthy foods? What is your talk about why you guys use supplements as a suggestion and talk about this? You just pee them out myth. What, what is your take on that? So funny that you say this. Yeah. <laughs> I I used to say this exact same thing. Okay. I would say you just have expensive urine. So exactly. why are you taking all those supplements? Um and then so and up until probably mid through way through my PhD, like I had this very strong feeling because that's what we were told um throughout all of my training as becoming a registered dietitian. Um, you know, then you get a little bit more into the science. And, uh, you realize that that's, it's, that's just not the case, that there are a lot of circumstances where, um, supplemental use is important or, and, or necessary. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So for example, there's variations in the food that we, you know, we have a depletion of soil nutrients. Now the food that we eat today isn't the food that we were eating a hundred years ago. Um, the way that we store and we transport the food, like there's a loss of nutrients in that. So a good example of this is vitamin C in a lot of the orange juice that we're drinking. So 
there's vitamin C and orange juice, right? Everybody kind of knows orange juice as a, as a mechanism to get vitamin C. Well, once you open the cap of your orange juice, vitamin C starts oxidizing, right? So it loses up to 50% of its vitamin C after the first 24 hours in that orange juice. And so then you just keep going back to it for the next week, thinking you're getting it as a source of vitamin C, but there's no vitamin C left at the end of the week. Interesting. Right? And that's so, the same, well, is that the same reason why people say frozen vegetables are better than fresh vegetables because the freezing process slows that oxidation? Yeah, Absolutely. Frozen, frozen fruits and vegetables are one of my go-to things. First of all, it's more cost effective. Now I'm getting all dietitian-y, but it's <laughs> yeah, more cost awesome. effective and it also, uh, it's quick and easy and it's also got a higher nutrient profile than most fresh fruits and vegetables because of that. Frozen vegetables so soggy. I just can't do it. <laughs> you got to get the ones from Whole Foods. That's like all I eat. There's a certain <laughs> one and I swear there's a guy who goes to the Whole Foods or a girl who goes to the Whole Foods where I go and they like them too and we compete because it's either empty <laughs> or full and I buy all 12 every time I go if that row is full. <laughs> well, you know, the way to get around that is one, you could, you could grow your own food yes. and then you don't have to do that and then you could also just buy local too. Because that helps reduce yeah. uh, how much transport it has to go through. But then that's I can't cool. compete with the other person in Whole Foods. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Never okay. mind. <laughs> um, okay, so then after we get through those those topics, um, you talk about further testing. And my run or our run DNA results show that there are 18 suggestions for further testing. And that's a lot actually. But what the, I think one of the coolest things about the run DNA product is that if we really look in the big picture without having a look at our genetics, how many things we could potentially be chasing, there are endless number, an endless number of things that we could be looking into and thinking, oh, should I worry about this vitamin or that vitamin or that? And the really cool thing with Run DNA is it helps you whittle away all of the things that you shouldn't be thinking about or focusing on and helps you look at the things that you should be looking at as an athlete. I think it's so really knowing cool too because it's just, it's so personalized. I mean, it's your DNA and like this test is specifically tailored to, to you. And so it's, I just don't know anywhere else you can do that. It's really neat. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about steps for... What steps we should take once we get these results? So, because there are eighteen suggestions, what are some first steps that we should? Uh, what sorry? What first steps should we take? And no one ever really recommends doing everything at once because that's the fastest way to fail. So, what are some of your suggestions for implementing the advice we get from Run DNA? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, like you, like you just kind of said, it's it. One of the coolest things is it is it's personalized to the individual, and it's really trying. It's starting to get away from a one size fits all model of performance and of even nutrition and health. But um, so it. With that said, I think what you should do when you first get the result is first of all, not be overwhelmed because I think that will be the first thought in someone's <laughs> mind is, whoa, this is a lot of information. Um, but then once you start to go through it is really prioritizing for you because you know yourself, I mean, especially, I think a lot of your listeners are probably pretty competitive athletes. And for us as athletes, we know ourselves very well, right? And so really prioritizing kind of what has been a, has been a problem for you in the past. So for me, for example, it was the injury stuff. So I really looked into, okay, I do have these genetic predispositions. What can I be doing to try to, to try to overcome this or try to at least put myself in a better place? Um, and then from there kind of t 
tease out what what do I want to start looking at? Look at the recommendations we provide. What are you already doing? Kind of get rid of those. And then you start to dwindle kind of the recommendations and what's there for you to make those adaptations in order to improve your own performance and health. Cool. Uh, let me cool. ask you real quick about this um, injury thing because- Chris- you know, you know the the advice on it, and I've we've had a couple other guests on the show. Um, Jonathan Lee, a guy from Trainer Road, has had a lot of history with injury as well, and he's always chasing it too. So, we talked about collagen. You also have vitamin C, uh, zinc, and L glutamine. Are there any other suggestions you have for people who find themselves frequently injured? Um, yeah. So we actually worked. Um, with some physical therapists on this in order to come up with some recommendations and what people should be doing when they're looking at injury. Um, and so there's a lot of exercise recommendations in there too. Um, and so basically like preventing injury, there's treatment and prevention. So I would say trying to prevent the injuries before they ever happen would be my go-to <laughs> advice. Okay. Um, and then there's, so there's some things within our report that kind of show that and allow that. Um, okay. yeah. An example, I, do you want a specific example? Sure. That'd be yeah. great. So strength training is a big example. So, um, strength training in, in lower, uh, lower body. So doing muscle contractions in order to, uh, improve the strength of those muscles that are surrounding those tendons or ligaments or joints. Okay. Um, and then, like I said, there, there are the supplement recommendations, vitamin C and collagen. Um, and that was really all we gave, I think in, in those, in that particular area, because that's really where the science is. Okay. So there's a, there's a, it's important for vitamin C as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause vitamin C is involved with collagen production. Ah, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Thank so you. So Chris mentioned earlier that uh, toolbox has more than just one product. You guys actually have quite a few. So what other products do you have uh, aside from run DNA that is uh, endurance athletes can use? Yeah. So I think um, one of my favorite things to pair with run DNA is our nutrition product. It's called nourish okay. um, because you know, run DNA is going to give you, uh, some of the nutrients that are important, um, for in- endurance performance in particular, but, uh, nourish really goes into all of the nutrients and looks at, um, your impact to fats, for example, how you respond to carbohydrate, carbohydrates. Sorry. I dropped my mic. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Sorry. good>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You We're getting close away. to the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think, I think that would be a really good one to look at because, um, nutrition while there is sport nutrition and it's performance related. I mean, again, if you are maximizing your nutrition, which is a lot, a place where a lot of us maybe slack a little bit more, maybe we have the, uh, you know, we have the exercise routine down, we have the training routine, but we're not so great on the nutrition side. So kind of pairing that. Our other products are a weight management product. So if someone's struggling with their weight, there's a lot of different genes that we look at um, in terms of factors that go into um, weight control. And okay. then the other product is called Empower, which is a little bit of a jumpstart package. It's a sampler of all our products. And it also looks at disease risk like heart disease. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's really, really cool. So I, I remember when Ted first told me about this, um, you know, he, he just said, Hey, you got to check out this girl. She does all this genetic testing for athletic performance. And I was like, I couldn't even believe it was possible. So this has been a really, really interesting show for sure. Just on the potential of what science can offer us now as, as things advance. So I know science um, is so cool, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. no, it's <laughs> totally crazy. It's totally crazy. All right. Um, 
This is our, we're getting to our, our one of our last questions of the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called our what point question. And I, Jessica, you and I had coffee maybe probably three or four weeks ago. And I think I prepared you for this question because most guests get a little stumped when I ask it. But um, the, the idea is if, if an athlete or a, a listener follows the advice um, from the show, from the expert on the show, you know, how many watts can they add to their FTP throughout a season? So I'm going to use a rider who has a 300 watt FTP. Let's say that they are, you know, they're exercising and they're, they're doing things pretty well, but they're not following everything perfectly. Like you said, a lot of people may have their, their training program right, but they're not getting all the vitamins and minerals that they need. Maybe they're not getting as good asleep because they're, they, they're predisposed to having sleep problems and they follow the advice. If somebody gets a run DNA sample and they follow all of the advice and they just improve their health as a result of this, how many watts do you think that they could add to their FTP in a season? Okay, so you did prepare me for this, but I I don't think it pre- adequately still prepared me to answer this. <laughs> well, you're yeah, um, you're as, a P, yeah, yeah. and a range is fine. I know this is it's a hard question to answer, but we need, just we need know, it down to two pers- decimal places for yeah, the yeah. water. Yeah. As, a, as a research scientist, throwing a number on this is <laughs> it's tough and for me. It, yeah, just a range. Okay, yeah. So a percentage even. This is what I will say, I guess, because I, I prepared a little bit, but I mean, who the heck knows? Yeah. Um, so there's 23 traits in our product in RunDNA. So if you look at all those 23 traits and you kind of go through it, I gave one watt per trait. So I'll Love say 23 watts. That 23 very, watts. That is, <laughs> that is very a very specific. scientific answer. And I believe it has a 95% <laughs> confidence interval. So we'll thank go you, with that. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but honestly, in, in a, on a serious note, I, I do believe that this advice will help you perform better. Because when we talked about, or we talked about diet, um, that was the, one of the first suggestions for improvement. And you said, without proper diet and nutrition, you're just not as healthy as you can be. And without a healthy body, you can't expect it to perform like it should. Mm-hmm. So all of the these pieces of advice that you're giving are helping somebody become a more healthy person, which in turn makes you a better athlete. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, where can users find out information about Toolbox Genomics and all the tests that you you offer? Yeah. So um, toolboxgenomics.com is our website. And we actually just launched our products uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, all four of them are up and, uh, we have pages for all of them so that you can read through and see what's included. Perfect. I I will say as a, a, yeah, as a beta, yeah, as a beta tester of it, it comes in this really cool box. (laughs) It's super easy to do. You just swab the inside of your mouth, send it back. And what's it take about four to six weeks to get your results. Yeah. And boom, you get this cool profile with all this advice. So Jessica, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This is definitely one of the most unique interviews we've had because it's such an interesting topic. Uh, It's been great. So thank you again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to listen to episode 11, where we interview movement expert Max Jones to learn how movement screening and ideal movement patterns can help you become a faster cyclist. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by sharing our podcast and by leaving a rating or review. If you want to learn more about our company, Flow Cycling, please visit us online at flowcycling.com. That's F as in Frank, L-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-G.com. You can also find us under Flow Cycling on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, ride safe.